This episode was originally a Patreon-exclusive episode that was released on June 8, 2023. Now, if you like this episode, we have over 190 more Patreon-exclusive episodes that you get access to for just $5 a month. Also, for our Patreon supporters, we released two brand new episodes this week. The first episode is over the Lake Vaughn monster, which is about an elusive creature that is enormous in size and has been spotted by thousands of individuals. The second episode we released is Bloopers 2023 and our corn dog eating competition, which that episode contains all of our unreleased bloopers from the past six or so months, as well as our 2023 corn dog eating competition. So check that out if you want to. No pressure. One last thing. All references mentioned in this episode today will be located on our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We hope you all enjoy the episode and have a wonderful new year. We will see you next year. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Patreon exclusive. Welcome. First off, I want to say thank you to whomever you are listening for opening your minds to receive extra knowledge nuggets each week. It means a lot to all of us, and we want you to know that. Also, before we start, since you are a Patreon subscriber, remember that you get priority in topic suggestions. So feel free to shoot those suggestions on over to us by email, or if you want, you can write us a handwritten letter. We'll frame it, we'll stick it up on the wall, and then take it down after a few years and stick it up Dan's ass. Oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. So we asked what you all wanted. And you all voted. Hidden history it is. So we decided to go with Tartaria. And I know it looks like it's spelled Tartaria. And a lot of people's going to say Tartaria. But the correct pronunciation is Tartaria. Okay? Yeah, we listened to multiple videos and. The way people pronounce it. We contacted an English professor at the University of Texas in Austin. And he said, it's Tataria. I said, thank you. Yeah, then he called us a bunch of Tartars. All right. So how this episode will go today is that we're going to talk about uh, what is Tataria and the mud flood theory. And then we're going to go into our investigation and the evidence that we uncovered. And then into theories. And then wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. And then maybe some, you know, free talk. I like free talk. Because I scared. <laughs> I found this video I cannot stop watching that I love. You know the one that I, I keep watching. What do you keep watching? Which one? The shark. Oh, my God. The guy jumping out of the. Okay, we'll save that for the end. Our two favorite videos of the week. I love it. So good. All right. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. A long time ago, an ancient civilization with astonishing architecture and advanced technology ruled the world. However, a catastrophic event occurred, wiping out this empire. 
For centuries, the existence of this advanced civilization has been intentionally hidden from history. So what if everything you were taught in school regarding the world's history was a lie? This is Tataria. All right, so to start this episode off today, we're going to talk about this entire theory and what it involves. Just to clear it up, Tataria is a theory, okay, that a lot of people reference, and Dan's going to tell you what it's about. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. All right, welcome back. So this entire theory revolves around a supposed technologically advanced civilization called the Tatarian Empire. This empire started from North Central Asia, or somewhere around there, and either influenced or built vast cities and infrastructure all over the world. Now this Tataria lasted for a while, and then all of a sudden, around 100 to 200 years ago, a sudden cataclysm occurred, and Tataria fell as in it ceased to exist. Now, its great buildings were buried, and the history of this entire empire was pretty much erased. So after this great reset, aka cataclysm, the few surviving examples of the buildings of the Tatarian Empire were covered up and hidden from the world. Now, if this was a giant civilization that was so advanced, what erased it from the world, and why was it erased? Did aliens come down and zap everyone's brain and make them just forget about it? Eh, not exactly. Apparently, it was a catastrophic event that was called the Mud Flood, or the Great Mud Flood. This event occurred sometime in the 19th century, and it essentially covered up this entire past civilization. Not only was this past civilization covered up, but the history of Tataria, the Mud Flood that occurred, the true history of the entire world before the 19th century was all covered up, and history was rewritten as a way for the elites to hide it from the public. Now, why would the elite hide this from the public, though? Well, that takes us into our theory section, which, before we get into that, we first need to look deeper into this topic and see if it has any legs to stand on. So with this next section, instead of us going into strange facts and findings like we usually do, we decided to change it up a bit we're going to go into what we call the investigation and evidence section, which is where we discuss our investigation into this topic and the evidence that we uncovered while digging into it. So pretty much it's, it's strange facts and findings, but just with a different title, investigation and evidence, okay? It's just the way this episode or this topic had to go. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, Dan, do you want to start that off for us and tell us about our first step into investigating this topic? So, the first step that we took while investigating this topic is that we wanted to see if an empire called Tataria really existed. After digging into some history books, this is what we found out. 
So we did find that there was a place in history that was called a very similar name to Tataria. And we even found multiple maps of that area from the 1700s and 1800s. However, before we get into that, we first need to talk about what occurred in the 13th century because it plays a big role into this investigation. It might not make sense now, but trust me, it all comes together, okay? All right, so back in the early, early, late 1100s, there was this individual living in the northeastern area of today's Mongolia. This individual's name was Temujin. Now, during the first 30-ish years of this individual, Temujin's life, he witnessed a lot of tribes in his area beefing with one another. And he was actually one of the leaders of the Mongolian tribes. And he was trying to bring them together and be like, hey, quit beefing with one another. Eventually, Temujin had enough. And in the year of 1206, at the age of 44 years old, he ended up getting all the tribes together. And he said, listen up, we need to come together as one big empire. We don't need to be beefing and killing one another. We need to unite and beat the shit out of other people and gain land and shit. <laughs> okay, maybe he didn't say that exact quote. And by the way, I, I love your reenactment of that, Dan. It really put me there. Probably totally wrong, though, but, you know, whatever. However, he did tell the tribes that, hey, you need to quit fighting with one another and we all need to unite. And guess what? That's exactly what they did. All the tribes in the area united and they formed the Mongol Empire. Now, guess who this empire elected as their leader? They elected Temujin. As soon as he was elected, he was given the title of Genghis Khan, which meant universal ruler. Before this, did you know that Genghis Khan's real name was Temujin? No. I didn't know that either. I learned so much about Khan when we were researching this. It's crazy. I always thought that was his real name, Genghis Khan. Yeah, no, that's a title that was given to him. Anyway, now it is important to remember that this Mongol tribe was a nomadic tribe, meaning that they traveled from place to place. They didn't really have a home. Uh, another thing worth mentioning is that Genghis Khan wanted to rule everything under heaven, meaning that he wanted to rule the entire damn earth. Also, Genghis Khan wanted to secure trade routes like the Silk Road, and he decided to use fear as a psychological weapon. He wanted a reputation for being so ruthless that enemies would surrender without a fight. So a combination of all these things that we just discussed, along with Genghis Khan wanting to keep his warriors busy and unified, he decided, hey, I'm going to start widespread invading and conquesting all the lands that I can find throughout the entire 13th century. Now, during this entire Mongol takeover, Europeans at the time were starting to hear rumors they're saying, hey, oh, oh boy. <laughs> Wait, they were turning to the leprechauns? Hold on, hold on. The tea and biscuits? They said, oh, no. The, you see the Genghis Khan heading towards Europe. They were getting scared. They also heard that the Mongols were swift and brutal with their invasions. Cities that resisted were often brutally attacked and the entire population was massacred. Of course, this news created fear in the people living in Europe and also gave them a negative attitude towards anyone Asian. So finally, in the 1220s, the Mongols reached parts of Europe. They continued invading as far west as present-day Poland and Germany until the 1240s. 
It is important to note that these invasions did not result in the full annexation of European territories into the Mongol Empire. After initial victories and the sacking of several cities, the Mongols' advance was halted in 1260 and the Mongols were instructed to head back to their homeland to elect a new Khan. A.K.A. leader. Universal ruler. Yeah. All right, so that right there gives you a little background into the Mongol Empire. And I know what you're wondering. Why was this important to mention? Well, for the next hundreds of years, and I'm talking hundreds of years, Europeans, they had an opinion of the Mongols and the area that they came from. And this opinion was formed from the Mongols invading them in the 1200s. Essentially, everything in Northern Asia, which they didn't call it Asia at the time, but everything in Northern Asia was viewed as negative, and Asians were pretty much viewed as negative from the Europeans. Not much has changed. <laughs> Jesus. I'm kidding, kidding. So in the 17th century, some European writers used the term Tartar as a name for all the people living in the Northern Asian area and referred to this area as Tartary. So why did they use the term Tartar? Well, in Greek mythology, Tartarus was a hell-like realm so the writers pretty much were saying that the people who lived there were barbaric and creatures from hell. Now, with these European writers calling the area that term, it ended up catching on with the people living there, and that's what they referred to the area as and the people that live there in that area. So they called them the Tartars and the area is Tartary. Now, fast forward a few years later, and as understanding of geography increased for the Europeans, you know, they got knowledge. Knowledge. They decided, hey, uh, that's a big ass area. We're just basically putting a stamp on and saying, hey, that's that's Tartary. We need to divide it into different areas. So they subdivided Tartary into sections, giving them each different names, those sections. Yep. They did this so that they could be more precise in the area that they were talking about. Instead of just grouping up Russia, China, Central Asia into one big area called Tartary, for example, Siberia was given the name of Great Tartary or Russian Tartary, Manchuria was the Chinese Tartary, and Western Central Asia was known as the Independent Tartary. So fast forward to 1820, a German officer in the Russian army named Igor Meinendorf decided to take a trip to Central Asia. He was going to explore the area. For an entire year, Igor conducted a geographical investigation into the area. This investigation was later published in a travel account and offered valuable insights into the geography, the politics, and culture of Central Asia. It was this voyage and travel account by Igor that gave rise to the terms Central Asia and Inner Asia, which everyone started using. Eventually, the terms Tartary and Tartar faded out and were replaced with Asia and Asians. And there you go. That is what we found out when we dug into Tartary and Tartar and Tartarian. And we did not find any ancient civilization that was described as Tartaria. I mean, there were a few maps, like the second one we have listed, Asia, Tartaria. But most of them, uh, most of the maps were Tartary. And we kind of gave you like a back story of, you know, the Mongol empires and why the Europeans use that term and all that. It all kind of formed into one 
because you needed to know the backstory to know why they were called that. I would like to be now known as Half Tartar. I'm just going to call you Tar. That works. All right. Uh, so we do have a couple maps. The first Actually, one. Cut that out. <laughs> Jesus. So we do have a couple maps. The first one is a map that shows Tartary. And you can see it was a gigantic area, man. So it was the new map of Chinese and independent Tartary. So I'm guessing the Chinese Tartary was the pink part. And then that yellow part would be the independent. Yep. Dang. Yeah, that's a lot, huh? Yeah, it is. All right, the next map is Asia Tartaria, and it has a big paragraph at the bottom. And I said, Dan, do you think you could uh, translate that for me? So tell them what you got out of that translation. I don't even, what language is that? So supposedly it's Italian, from what I discovered and someone else on Reddit discovered. All right, tell us what this paragraph says below this uh, map. That says Tartaria. It said it was formerly called Scythia, but 300 years ago, the Tartars, people who came out under the great Chingi, not the rapper Chingi, from a canton of Asia called the Mongol in their language, who occupied its dominion, also changed the name under which it is contained, leaving the Tartars, of whom we have spoken in their place, a little less than half the mainland of Asia, because it extends from the Volga to the slopes of China and of India and from the Scythian Ocean up to the Maeotis Marsh and to the Sea Hercano. It is divided into four parts. One contains the Hordes, the other the Zagatayo, and the other peoples as far as Yusante and Lapo to the desert, and third, Katayo, with all that extends between the uh, aforementioned desert and China, and the fourth includes the little-known countries of Belgian, Argon, Arseret, and Ania, which I don't understand any of that. Me neither. It's just like they just threw words together. That's what it seems like. But there you go. Uh, if you are a loved one, have a better translation of that. Send us an email. We'd love to hear about it. But that's what we found in regards to looking up uh, Tataria in the history books and consulting with a history master. Okay. So there you go. Also, I wanted to add a little knowledge nugget that I found out about Genghis Khan. Ooh, tell us. Now, when I mention his name. Temujin. Not Temujin, Genghis Khan. When I talk about him, what do you imagine him looking like? I imagine him being like a big, uh, big broly with a beard. So like a big Asian man with a beard and a, maybe like a fur cap on and like fur armor. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I imagine. Well, that's uh, incorrect because there are no portraits or sculptures of Genghis Khan that have survived. In fact, the Mongols do not have a realistic portrait of Genghis during his time. So any visual representations of him that exist are speculative and based on later artwork, much of which was not even created by the Mongols. The description of Genghis Khan's physical appearance varies across historical accounts, many of which were written long after his death. Now, there is a 13th century Mongol chronicle that described Genghis Khan as tall and strong with a flowing mane of hair and bushy beard. And that's all it said about him. There is another description from a Persian historian, Rashid al-Din, who wrote that Genghis Khan had red hair and green eyes. 
But I mean, I want you to remember that Rashad wrote this account several decades after Genghis's death. So he never met him in person. So the accuracy of this description is pretty much like uncertain. Also, another thing to add to that, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the death of Genghis. Now, what we do know is that he died in 1227. However, the exact circumstances of his death remains a mystery. People say he died from falling off a horse. Others said he died from an illness. And some say, you know, he died from wounds in battle. Another thing I want to add is his burial place is completely unknown. They have never found his body. They do not know where he's buried at. So he's like Hitler. Pretty much. And here's the thing. You know how they say that like uh, so many percentage of Asians have Genghis Khan's DNA in them? They're just guessing. They've never recovered his body to pull DNA from him. They're just guessing. Damn. There you go. A little knowledge nugget for your ass. Now that's hidden history right there. <laughs> that is hidden history. So let's get on to our next step. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. All right. So the next step that we decided to do in our investigation is to see exactly when this theory about Tataria and the mud flood was first mentioned on the Internet. What we discovered is that on August 5th, 2016, a YouTuber that goes by the name of Philip Dresahin posted his very first video titled Mud Flood in 19th Century Giants Were Real. And we do have a link to that video, so we'll provide that. But uh, in this video, Phillips starts talking about an old article that talks about footprints that were found. These footprints were a lot bigger than a normal human's footprint, in which Phillips suggested that, hey, maybe these were footprints, you know, of a giant. Philip then continues on with his video by looking at various structures around the world and how they have giant doors on them. He then suggests that these giant doors serve no purpose other than allowing room for giants to enter. Yeah, I mean, at that point, the video I was kind of like, eh. I was, I was kind of skeptical, but I kept watching and it gets good. So Philip then goes over paintings from the 1700s. Actually, this is where I'm still skeptical. <laughs> and he shows individuals of different heights and states that, hey, the taller people are giants. After the 16-minute mark in the video is when things get really interesting. Philip starts going over ancient artifacts, temples, and monuments. He shows the very first picture of these places when they were found and the state that they were found in. So the very first time these temples or artifacts were found, a photograph was taken of them. And he shows that photograph, and then he shows a modern photograph of them right next to it and how they were fixed up. It's very odd. So we do have a screenshot of those images and we will go over a few of them. Like the first one is in Bolivia. The photo on the left is from 1905 and the one on the right is from 2010. And you can clearly see that the only thing standing are the steps and the two little pillars in the front of the steps. Yeah, they rebuilt everything else and they cleared out that area. This is where it gets really weird for me. OK, I can understand countries rebuilding temples, you know, Maybe for tourism, but some of the examples on here are mind-blowing. The second photograph that is shown is of a buried monument that was founded in 1900. And it's actually three photographs. First one is 1900. The second picture was taken in 1920, and it shows that, hey, the monument was almost dug out. The third picture was taken in 2011, showing the monument fully dug out. And I mean, this is not that 
big of a deal. This one isn't. It just shows the monument being covered. It was covered up and they dug it out. Pretty normal. The next one is not normal, though. All right. So this next photograph that is shown is of a temple that was discovered in Bolivia in 1892. And then the second photograph is from 2006 of that same temple in Bolivia, except it is all rebuilt, which I mean, that's a big difference for sure. They definitely that's a huge difference. There's just like little bitty stones all over the place when they found it in 1892. Then in 2006, they completely rebuilt all the walls and everything. Was that one rebuilt or no, that was rebuilt. Like I was going to say the outside part here closer to us, that looked like they could have dug up, but the rest of it looks like they definitely had to rebuild inside. Yeah. And it's just not a little bit of rebuilt, the whole thing. All right. So the next photograph is from 1868 to 1875. And it is of a very famous theater in Greece. And you can see in the first photograph, it's like completely run down. The second photograph is from 2012 of that same theater in Greece, except it's pretty much rebuilt. The steps and everything. Where do those pillars go? I don't know. This is, and it's not like this is a different photo. This is clearly or a different area. This is clearly the same area and same monument in the same theater. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I didn't know they did this. Yeah, I mean, I'd understand if they just like dug it up, clean around it and stuff, but to rebuild the stuff and then pass it off is like they found it like that. And we have a ton more. Like the next photograph is of ancient Sungate in Bolivia from the beginning of the 20th century. And then the second photograph is that same Sungate from 1920 to 1947. And then the final photograph is from 2009, where it shows it completely rebuilt. Which, the first photo, that thing is like cracked in half and pretty much not even lined up anymore and just, it's a mess. Yeah, and you could clearly see in the second and third photograph that crack where it initially broke off, where they put it back together. That crack is still there. Uh, the next photograph is of Egyptian ruins from 1875. And you can see that, I mean, these ruins are bad. They're all over the place. The second photograph is from 2011, showing the same Egyptian ruins cleaned up and an Egyptian statue and pillars built on the left side. You see that? Yeah, the statue was nowhere near there. Or like not it even wasn't in even in the picture. They added that. Oh, God. And then our next one is the temple that was discovered in Mexico in 1890. The second photograph shows the same temple in 2002 and it is totally cleared out and rebuilt which honestly if you look at the one on the left it looks like it's on a dirt mound it's like a little hut stone hut built on top of a dirt mound see this is where he starts explaining philip does in his video that this is evidence that in the 1800s sometime there was a giant mud flood and it destroyed a lot of these ancient ruins and he uses this picture of, of this temple in Mexico as an example of the mud flood because you can see that something came along and flooded that area. It does look like that. And that this is why all these ruins are being rebuilt is to hide that there was a giant flood, a mud flood. The next photograph is of another ancient palace in Mexico, or not another, but an ancient palace in Mexico that was discovered in 1890. The second photograph shows the same ancient palace in 2013, completely rebuilt. They cleared out trees. And they rebuilt steps. They refortified the concrete. They rebuilt that tower, the top part of it. 
and they even removed the man standing in the window in 1890 <laughs> in 2013. Nice. Yeah. All right, so the next photograph is of the pyramid in Mexico in 1889. The second photograph is of the same pyramid, but it was taken in 2009, and it shows it completely rebuilt. Which, man. It's mind-blowing. I've never seen, have you seen this before? No, but see, this one right here, I wouldn't even call it a mud flood, to be honest. I don't know why, I just don't think that one would be a mud flood. More so dirt and shit just built up over time on it, because it's not really that bad. But the next one. Yeah, the next one's horrible. So the next photograph is of an ancient cathedral in Mexico in 1913. The second photograph is of that same cathedral, except in 2013. And just like all the other ones, it had been completely rebuilt. And when I say completely, the first photograph of 1913, that son of a bitch was caving in. Bad. It was in horrible condition. And then you look, they completely rebuilt it. I wonder if they used the same like stone and stuff that was used on it. They just like pretended like it was a puzzle. Placing pieces. You think they did that or did? I guess, yeah, because they had the stone in the area. So why not use the stuff that the uh, ancient builders used to rebuild it? True. To make people not question, you know? All right, the next photograph is of an ancient temple discovered in Syria in 1900, and the second photograph shows that the same temple in 2009 totally rebuilt, and then the third photograph is of 2015, which shows the temple completely destroyed and in ruins. Thanks, ISIS. Yeah, ISIS went in and destroyed the temple. But if you look at the photograph from 1900, and you look at the photograph from 2009, the 1900 photograph, it shows the temple buried. The lower half of it buried. And if you look at the 2009 photograph, it had been dug out. And you can see, look at the, the middle of the temple along the pillars. It's a lighter color from not being in the sun as long as the upper part. You see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So again, Philip points to this as, hey, there was a giant mud flood that covered up a lot of this temple. What if ISIS destroyed it because they knew that it was actually rebuilt? You know, I never thought about, about it that way, that it was fake history. Yeah. Not saying that ISIS is good or anything, just... You weren't ISIS sympathizer. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, hey, that would, uh, that would explain it. You think about it, why would they go and destroy, I guess, uh, part of their history? I don't know if that was actually part of their history or not, but, I mean, why would they go do that? I don't know. If you or a loved one have uh, any members in ISIS over in Syria... Ask them that question and get back to us. Send us yeah. an email. It's the ancient temple in Syria. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's get on to the next photograph, which is of ancient ruins in Egypt. And this photograph was taken in 1890. And the second photograph shows the exact same ruins completely rebuilt in 2006. This one by far is the most mind-blowing in my opinion. You can clearly see the ruins in 1890 have no Egyptian uh, statues. The pillars are crumbling. Well, I say no Egyptian statues. It has half of one on the right side, and then the left side is pretty bad shape. I mean, only thing it looks like it's missing is that weird-ass hat that they're wearing. Yeah, the one on the left. The one on the right is missing the total upper half of the body and the yeah. vase or hat or whatever it is. But on the picture in the right from 2006, they're completely rebuilt. And they passed them off as being, hey, they were built back in the day. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. So the next photograph is of a temple in the city of Baalbek in Lebanon. The first photograph was taken in 1870 and shows the temple in ruins. 
The second photograph was taken in 2013 and shows the temple being rebuilt. And you can clearly see in the first photograph, there are pillars that are clearly missing and broken off. And the top part of this temple is broken off and there is what looks like debris and mud surrounding it completely. It does look like debris and mud. And then in the second photograph, of course, all the pillars are rebuilt. The top of the pyramid's rebuilt and everything's cleared out from down below. Look at the temple. This is a great example. If you look at the temple back in the day and you can see that all of the debris in dirt and mud is built up onto the side of it, covering up a portion of the temple. And you look to the right, it's all gone. That is a lot of dirt and mud accumulated on the side of that temple. That was not there when they built it, because you have to think, why would they dig out and build? Not like they're going to have a level foundation. I mean, you think back then they had level foundations? They would dig out that much? I don't know, to be honest. If you were a loved one that was an ancient builder in the 1870s, send us an email. So Philip continues on with the video showing more examples of buildings being buried under mud and individuals having to dig them up. Philip then states that human civilization was more advanced than we are being told in the history books. These photographs show that an ancient mud flood ravaged earth and covered up these ruins. These ruins were then rebuilt as a way to cover up the evidence of there ever being a flood. But that is just a theory, and we will talk more about that during our theory section. However, that right there was the first ever mention of the mud flood. So we decided to dig around and see when the first time someone mentioned the theory of Tataria, and this is what we discovered. So as we dug around, we learned that on a website titled Stolen History, a user named Corbin Dallas made a post on their forum on April 17th, 2019. This post briefly talks about the history of Genghis Khan and Tutaria. Then there is a section titled Cover Up. In this section, it says, and we quote, the official history is hiding a major world power which existed as late as the 19th century. Tartary was a country with its own flag, its own government, and its own place on the map. Its territory was huge, but somehow quietly incorporated into Russia and some other countries. This country you can find on the maps predating the second half of the 19th century. Sometime in the 18th century, Tartary was the biggest country in the world, totaling 3,050,000 square miles. Tartary had its own language, flag, crest, its own emperor, and of course, its own people. And that right there is pretty much the first mention of Tartaria being covered up from everyone. Now, on this website, the poster does provide a ton of information as proof, such as newspaper and book clippings. It is a fantastic read, and we suggest everyone go and take a look at it, which we will provide a link for that so you can. Yeah, he goes deep into it, and he does a great job at it. I think he has one post that has a bunch of it, and then there's another post that connects to it where he goes even deeper into it. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, before we get off on the subject of who created this theory, it is important to mention two things, okay? The first thing is that an individual named Anatoly Fomenko, he wrote a book in 2002 titled History, Fiction, or Science. 
in this book. Anatoly states that the history as we know it is fake and that the Middle Ages is a complete hoax created by the papacy, aka Pope, on the basis of bad astronomy. Due to this claim, a lot of individuals will point to Anatoly as not one of the people who created this theory of Tataria, but as being an inspiration of sorts to this theory. And the second thing that we want to mention is, I mean, it's sort of like a creepypasta that was created nine years ago that we believe was also an inspiration. And if you don't know what a creepypasta is, it's pretty much a made up scary story. But in this scary story, they talk about something called SCP-140. Now, it's actually a book. Just want to emphasize, this is a made up story from nine years ago, okay? SCPs are completely made up scary stories, all right? But we, like Dan said, we believe that this was an inspiration for Tartaria. Yeah, so SCP-140 is a modern hard copy book with an unremarkable black binding and an unknown number of white pages. The title on this book is called A Chronicle of the Davis, and inside the cover is signed by the author, whose name is indecipherable. The text is copyrighted 1900-something. Then careful examination reveals that there are far more pages than the bindings than could be contained within them. Supposedly, as big as the binding was on it, somehow it was holding more pages than there should be, which was weird. Okay. Like we said, this is a fake story. But to get to the point of it, this book, if it comes in contact with like any fluid that can be used to write, it will continue the history of this Deva's civilization. And it will talk about like their defeats, their setbacks, new persons and events are inserted into their history. And then foundation archaeologists have discovered corresponding new artifacts and traces of this civilization in applicable locations and strata in some cases found in dig sites that had already been thoroughly explored. Which meaning, people would go through one archaeological dig site, be like, okay, there's nothing here. You know, there's a couple pillars or things here. Then a couple years later, someone would come through and be like, oh shit, there's pretty much an ancient civilization that was here that's been covered up that no one found before. A.K.A. like a mud flood, probably. Yeah, and this has happened before. Uh, I know that's... That's a, you know, a made up story, but that's happened before where there's been archaeologists that have dug up an area and then said, man, we don't need any of that stuff. And then you come across it again, some other archaeologists years later, and they're like, ah, that was pretty substantial evidence of a, another civilization. Yeah, and uh, we talk about one of those a little bit later, but this is part right here is that what gets me. Foundation archaeologists have discovered several sites containing ruins consistent with the supposed Davis culture in various locations across Siberia. Northern Iran and Mongolia. Artifacts and traces of their intercultural conflict and contact have been discovered as far west as the Carpathian Mountains and as far east as the northern Pakistan and China. I mean, it's kind of the same area. Yeah. So they're pretty much saying that, hey, the Davis were spreading and taking over areas as kind of like the Mongols. And you think that maybe they took an inspiration, the person who made, if it was a theory, Tataria Empire, hey, maybe they took inspiration from this. Correct. Okay, I can see that. Now, I'm not going to say that I found this. Someone mentioned this, and I ended up looking more into SCP-140, and there's just a ton of similarities from this Davis culture to what the Tatarian culture was. And we'll provide a link to that uh, SCP story for anyone that wants to read it over again and take a look at it. A Chronicle of the Davis. Very interesting read. 
All right, so there you go. That is our investigation into the background of Teteria and who mentioned it first. Now we're going to move on to some other evidence that we came across while researching this topic. Now, like we said earlier about how archaeologists went through one place and then another one came through, this is one of those. This next one is called Gobekli Tepe, which they believe to be part of the Tatarian Empire. Now, before we get into that, we are going to take a quick break. It's our last one, so don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. So the city of Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, which was first discovered in 1963 by an American archaeologist, where very little work was done there because they didn't really find anything, they said. Yep. And then in 1994, a German archaeologist, Karl Schmidt, of the German Archaeology Institute, took over the dig site and continued investigating the site until he died in 2014. With radiocarbon dating done on the wood, the charcoal, and animal bones in that dig site, uh, the city dates back to about 11,500 years ago, the pre-pottery Neolithic time of 9,500 to 8,000 BC, given a few centuries, you know, for error range. This would be at least 6,500 years before Stonehenge was even built, which changed the way researchers thought of people before this time. Yeah, it was previously believed that the Neolithic populations who survived by hunting and gathering would not be able to come together to build great monumental works. Yet the construction of Gobekli Tepe definitely required a lot of workers for an extended period of time, which, like you said, changed the understanding of human cultures back then because they were just hunters and gatherers. Yeah. So if you look at the photo that we provide of the dig site in Gobekli Tepe, you can see that there are a bunch of what looks like T-shaped pillars. Uh, this is definitely what stands out the most because, you know, archaeologists state that, hey, these T-posts or T-pillars, they're too precisely cut to be associated with, you know, the surrounding rubble of just these supposed hunter-gatherers. I can't even make that now. No, you think about how far back then, those things are cut, they almost all look like identical. Yeah. But yeah, so... These T-pillars were made of white limestone, which, I mean, they don't look white, but I don't know what limestone really is. I think it fades after a certain time. That would make sense. Because they had limestone over the pyramids and it faded. Ah, the more you know. I'm not smart. Yeah, you are, Dan. Don't talk about yourself like that. You are smart and I'm proud of you and I love you. Oh. I'm sweating like a fucking stuffed, stuck pig over here. That's why I'm wearing a hat. Dude, I'm sweating so bad. <laughs> I'm going to have to install that water cooler on that. Uh, how, how hot it is? How hot is it inside this room? It is currently 81 degrees. 81. Okay, I know that doesn't sound that hot, but the rest of the house is like 68. Okay, this room is so hot because we have our editing computer and video capture computer inside our closet because it's so loud. And uh, it gets so hot, it heats up the closet. And then... <laughs> it's like a heater. It is. It's a huge heater. And we can't have any fans on because of recording, so it gets super hot. So, excuse my appearance. <laughs> anyway, all right, so let's continue on. All right, so yeah, these T-pillars, they range from under 2 meters to over 5 meters in height, which is about just around 6 feet to over 15 to 16 feet. Then they can weigh up to 10 metric tons apiece, and that's over 22,000 pounds each. They are highly decorated with the images projecting outwards from the flat surface of local animals of all sorts. Even a few of them are wonderfully three-dimensional sculptures of boars crawling down the side of the pillars, which 
I mean, that's pretty advanced for them to be doing that back then. That's very advanced and impressive. So these pillars are arranged in a circle with it being around 10 meters in diameter. And the inside of each circle would be where the two tallest pillars would stand. There have been so far up to four circles that have been excavated from this site, but they believe that there could be over 20 of them in the area. Now, what is even more baffling about this site is that this entire area was deliberately buried under a shit ton of rubble soon after it was completed. So they built it and then it was just covered up. So the new circles of pillars were built on top of the rubble of the previous ones, which is like very strange. Why, why would that happen unless there was like some type of flood or some type of cataclysm that came along? Yeah, because why would you go through all that work, all that precise cutting, and then cover it up and just do it again on top? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So now the German archaeologists that started the site back in 94 or picked up the site. Who died in 2014 from sucking on a hot dog. That's right. Glizzy killed him. Now, he believed that this was actually a religious site for the people back then, but that was just his speculation on it. Then there was two other alternative theorists, Graham Hancock and Andrew Collins, who had different ideas about the Gobekli Tepe. Yeah, Graham Hancock believed that the Neolithic people did not know either stonemasonry or farming, meaning they must have had help from something or someone to build this site of Gobekli Tepe which Graham described his belief on a show called London Real, which he says, and we quote, It's obvious to me that that wasn't a group of hunter-gatherers who woke up one morning suddenly equipped with the skills. What we're looking at is a transfer of technology. This was the survivors of a lost civilization. They already knew how to do agricultural stuff. They settled amongst the hunter-gatherer people who they may have reached out to before. They settled amongst them and they created this project, and then the project was to restart their civilization. Graham goes on to say that, hey, it was a comet impact that caused a nonspecific worldwide cataclysm that lasted centuries, and that this is what ended the ancient civilization. The few survivors tried to restart their civilization through this hunter-gatherer group, you know, sort of trying to train them. Now, Andrew Collins, you know, the other guy, believed that the world was hit by a comet, and uh, that the comets terrorized the people. So pretty much it wasn't just one comet. It was like a barrage. <laughs> okay. So Andrew goes on to say, and we quote, My personal belief is that they were in an age that followed a major catastrophe that affected large parts of the earth. And they were essentially in fear that if they did not do something extra special, then these bad things that happened in the world would come back again. I think Gobekli Tepe was probably used by those that enter inside the different enclosures and monuments that are there. I think that they were interfaces between two different worlds, the world that we live in and the so-called liminal world or the spiritual dimension. Okay, he went pretty deep with that. He did. All right, so even though none of these, you know, theories from Collins or Hancock are accepted by archaeologists around the world, they figured that is what happened here, but many believe they exaggerated a lot of it. Uh, so in the end, uh, some believe that, hey, there may have been a connection to Tartaria or the mud floods and that uh, they rebuilt over the top of it. Like this was part of Tartaria. Mud floods came along and they tried to rebuild again. I mean, I can kind of see that if there was a mud flood, but definitely something happened. Yeah. 
because you don't just have rubble and everything just, you know, like a bulldozer didn't just come by and bulldoze everything. That, that didn't happen. No, and back then, from what archaeologists and I guess historians believe is that the Neolithic people, they didn't know how to, I guess, cut rocks, stone masonry, like build stuff, and they didn't actually have the knowledge to farm. They were hunter-gatherers for the most part. Yeah, so for them to find something that of these types of pillars and such dated way back then. Something's wrong with history. Yeah, something, something's not right. Yeah. All right, Dan, why don't you tell us about this next investigation we did? All right. The next piece of evidence in this investigation would be the Tataria tablets. So back in 1961, archaeologist Nikolai Vlasa discovered what he believed to be the earliest forms of writing in the world. While working at an excavation site in Romania, his team uncovered three small clay tablets that contained some weird etchings on them. They ended up giving these three tablets the name of Tataria tablets. They were about two and a half inches across, two are rectangular in shape, and the other is a round one. Now, one of the rectangular tablets and the round one have a hole drilled through them with writings or etchings on the side of them. Now, the clay tablets were found along with 26 clay and stone figurines, a shell bracelet, and damaged human bones. They believe that these items were found inside of a sacrificial burial pit. Yep, and we have a picture of those three tablets that we will have up on the Patreon post for y'all to see. But that right there is a damn goat. That looks like a goat trying to fuck another goat. That's Black Phillip. Bah, bah. Would I like the taste of butter? A pretty dress. <laughs> a pretty dress. Would I like to live deliciously? Anyway, um, that's a great movie, by the way. The Witch. Great movie. If you've never seen the movie The Witch, I highly suggest it. Great movie. You have to watch it with the subtitles on, though, because the main actor, he uh, is very hard to understand, but he's a great actor. Anyway, very strange tablets, very strange etchings. I, I don't even know what to say. Besides that one looks like a goat trying to fuck another goat. That one looks like a goat. The one on the left, the, the round one, the top right. Looks like a damn antenna. <laughs> it does look like an old school antenna that goes on a house. It does. Oh, and the bottom left of that looks like a bow and arrow, but backwards. It does. Mm, the uh, bottom right one looks like a rabbit. Yeah, that's a rabbit. Maybe that, that one looks like a recipe card. It does. Uh, looks like some, you know, maybe flowers or plants and then a rabbit and then you put it in a cauldron. Like you get a plant, put it in a cauldron, get other plants and rabbit, put it in a cauldron, and that's how you make whatever. We just solved it right there. That right there is a damn recipe card. It is. Boom. Solved it. The goat one, two goats, and some herbs. Yeah. All right. Uh, the other one's a TV guy. <laughs> <laughs> TV guy is a channel changer. It's a remote. Uh, uh, all right. So these tablets were dated back to 2700 BC during the Vinsa Tortoise culture. But when they carbon dated the tablets, it could have originated as far back as 5500 BC. The only problem with this is that for one the main archaeologist guy vlasa he was not there when the tablets were found and then these tablets were covered in limestone in a high humidity area meaning that these tablets were softened up because they were not baked but they believe that they were air dried back then which you know if you take clay and you bake it it becomes like you know kind of fragile hard but there's a way you could dry it to where it solidifies but if you put it in like high humidity and stuff, it absorbs the moisture and it becomes soft again. Damn, I didn't know that. 
All right, uh, so in order to preserve these tablets, someone decided, well, shit, they are soft. Let's bake them so that they can keep their form. So before any actual photos were taken, they baked the tablets. Good Lord, what, they have a fucking oven out there? They plug in an oven? Pretty much like a fire and you put like something on top of it. Oh, thought it, they might have had like an easy bake oven. Uh, so they baked the tablets, which made it impossible for the tablets to be carbon dated correctly. Now, if they would have done the carbon dating before the baking process, then they may have gotten a better answer to like when these were actually, you know, created. But after all of it was done, they did make a monument for the tablets in Tartary, Alba County, Romania, still, you know, to honor the findings of the supposed first writings. Please tell me those are not the actual tablets that they put up in that monument. No, those are not the actual tablets. Okay. All right. This monument is just like a giant statue. Uh, it's like a giant slab standing vertical and it looks like they took the, the freaking tablets and they just stuck them inside that rock and cemented over them. I hope those aren't the real ones. Hey, in the bottom part says Tartaria. Yeah. All right. So let's get on to our next thing that we're going to discuss, which is my favorite part of the episode. Well, you got excited when you started reading up on this. Oh yeah. This is weird as shit. This is just as weird as the ancient uh, ruins being rebuilt, okay? So back in 1893, there was the Chicago World Fair. Now, this World Fair is what a lot of people point to as us humans being more advanced in the past, and something happened that wiped out the technology, and it's being hidden or covered up. And I know what you're thinking. What would a fair have that could show us something weird like that? That, hey, we're more advanced. Your ass will be surprised. So, Dan, why don't you start us off and tell us, like, the basics about this fair? All right. So, the World's Columbian Exposition, also known as the Chicago World's Fair, was a world's fair, you know, held in Chicago in 1893 to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's arrival in the New World in 1492. Ugh. <laughs> what the f*** was that? You don't like Christopher Columbus? He was a bitch. Yeah. He spread smallpox. You know, he was actually a big piece of shit. If you and I know a lot of people are going to like get angry, but I suggest before you get angry, go read some of his journals. The dude was a giant piece of shit. OK. Anyway, continue. Sorry. I mean, he never mind. Yeah. Read the journals. Then, you know, you know why. Anyways, the centerpiece of this fair was a large water pool representing the voyage Columbus took to the New World. Chicago had won the right to host the fair over several other cities, including New York City, Washington, D.C., and St. Louis. The exposition was an influential social and cultural event and had a profound effect on American architecture, the arts, American industrial optimism, and Chicago's image. Many prominent architects designed its 14 great buildings. There were 14 total. Artists and musicians were featured in exhibits and many also made depictions and works of art inspired by the exposition. The exposition covered 690 acres, featuring nearly 200 new buildings of the predominantly neoclassical architecture, canals and lagoons, and the people in the cultures from 46 countries. More than 27 million people attended the exposition during its six-month run. Its scale far exceeded the other world's fairs, and it became a symbol of America becoming like a world power much in the same way that the Great Expedition became a symbol of the Victorian era in United Kingdom. Now, dedication ceremonies for the fair were held on October 21st, 1892. 
but the fairgrounds were not actually open to the public until May 1st, 1893. So they held ceremonies in October. They said, hey, I know we're all excited here, but you can't come back till May. I'd be like, damn. So they started the fair on May 1st, 1893, and then it continued until October 30th, 1893. Now, what is the big deal about this fair? Well, if you look at these buildings in Chicago that were built for the World Fair, they look pretty damn amazing. If you compare them to modern day Chicago, it leaves people scratching their heads like, what happened to those badass buildings back then? Now we got this shit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And if you ask historians, hey, what happened to them? They'll state that the buildings were only temporary buildings that took them only three years to build. And then after the fair was over, they took the buildings down. Uh, However, many people speculate that due to the unbelievable size and ornate details in these buildings, that they were not temporary. In fact, these buildings were built a long time ago. They were then reclaimed and fixed up before the World's Fair opened and then taken down afterwards to hide the history of there being a prior, more technologically advanced race. So we do have a link to the website that contains photographs of the buildings that were located at this fair, and we will post that up for anyone who wants to go and take a look at it. We would post up these photographs, but there's like a ton of them, and it would be a lot of... uh, a lot of photographs on the Patreon post, so we figured it'd be a lot easier if we just post the website. So you could go straight to that website. There's no ads or anything on it. And you just can scroll down and look at all of the buildings. Look at that. Look at some of these buildings. They're amazing. They are. Look at the administration building from Electricity Building. They had Electricity Building back then, by the way. Manufacturing biz- uh, building. The Statue of Liberty they built. I find these buildings to be aesthetically pleasing. Look at that McHenry Hall. That looks like a damn castle, man. Looking south between electricity and mining buildings. Imagine if that was still in Chicago. Dude, that would be badass. There's nowhere in the United States that, well, no. Nowhere in the United States that has these buildings like this. They should have left them up. They should have. Damn. They got a Ferris wheel. Can't have a fair without a Ferris wheel. Yeah. So there you go. That was the fair of 1893, and uh, a lot of people point to that as being proof that, hey, there was an advanced civilization prior, and that fair was kind of like to commemorate that, and then they tore all the buildings down. So it was like, hey, everybody come see all these buildings, then we're going to tear them down. So yeah, there you go. I actually have a, a poster of the World Fair. You remember me showing you that? I bought it at an antique mall. It's a giant poster that says World's Fair in Chicago, and it shows a lady. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why I bought it. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Dude, hell yeah. I found it at an antique mall for like 40 bucks. Not bad. Yeah. I love antique malls. Anyway, so let's continue on with our investigation. So tell us about this last thing that you wanted to talk about, Dan. All right. So the last thing that we're going to talk about are the heads on Easter Island. Yes, it's in South America, I know. So back in 1914, archaeologists on Easter Island discovered that some of the heads at these big megalithic statues were actually attached to subterranean torsos. They believed that many, many centuries ago of dirt and rocks covered them up, but it wasn't until 2012 when a chain email containing images of the full-bodied Easter Island statues from the 1950s and 2010s excavations started circulating the web. Now, I'm sure you're like, bro, these heads are like off the coast of South America, That is nowhere near Russia or China. I'll just state this. They did state that the Tartarian or the Tartarian Empire did try to expand 
all over the world. Well, the theory is that they did expand all over the world. They had their hand in everything. Yeah, so including South America, we'll say that. I mean, if you got to think, look at all the Egyptian and not only Egyptian, but Mexico ruins that we talked about as well. Yeah. Those are supposedly built by the Tartarians as well. You have all the pyramids. You have the ancient ruins in South America, the, the ruins of the Mayan people. Supposedly the Mayans just straight up disappeared. That supposedly was all built by the Tartarian Empire. Anyway, sorry, I don't want to get off on theories, but keep going about this, these big ass heads. Yeah, so what I'm going to say is I'm not going to say that these were built by the Tartarians. But this is what someone said is a good example of the mud flood happening all over the world, which covered up parts of our history. Is that only reason we saw just the heads was because of the big mud flood that covered their torsos. So I'm just like, all right, I'll add this. But the only rebuttal I have to this is that these were supposedly built along the coast around a volcano. And you know why they built them, right? To ward off people? Yep. Yeah, and I only think that most of the stuff, I mean, it looks like dirt when you look around it, but I think the volcano had some influence on the covering up of these structures. Yeah. That, wouldn't it be volcano rock and ash and not dirt and mud? That's what I was just thinking when I was looking at this. I was just like, you would see like volcanic ash, like the, the ground would be made of something else other than just dirt, which this is literally, I mean, you look at it, it's just dirt. And it's not like these heads are barely buried. These motherfuckers are like buried from the neck down and they're tall. I didn't even know they had those etchings on the back of them. I didn't know either until I saw these photos, hmm. which we do have a couple of photos that I added on here for us to look at. And we'll have that on the Patreon post for you to see as well. But yeah. And that pretty much concludes our investigation into Tataria and the mud flood. Now we're going to get into our theory section. So our first theory that we're going to talk about is called global conspiracy. So this theory suggests that a powerful global elite or secret society conspired to erase the existence of the Tatarian Empire from history. They believe that this elite or secret society were involved with manipulating historical records, destroying evidence, and rewriting narratives to conceal the true extent and achievements of the Tatarian civilization. Now what a lot of people point to as, well, who were the elites that did this and why? A lot of people will point, okay, look, I try not to get in religion, but a lot of people point to Pope as having a hand in this and pushing Christianity and uh, covering up the fact that, hey, there was a civilization here prior and it wouldn't match up with Christianity historical records. One thing I heard that kind of goes with this is that someone said that the true reason of the world wars weren't you know just the countries fighting it was actually because of the bombings and stuff destroying shit they were actually destroying any anything left over from the tatarian empire it just turned it all to rubble you make me so proud i read the same thing that is so crazy to think about isn't it it is and you think about it, we've never like i mean north america the united states has never really been bombed it's mostly been over in europe pearl harbor i mean you got pearl harbor yes i mean okay all right, yeah. But yes, you're right. Now, Iraq, maybe it wasn't because of Stargates. Maybe it was because Saddam Hussein had proof of the prior civilization and he was trying to come forward with it. 
And we went over there and destroyed all these temples over there that were remaining in Iraq, which is Mesopotamia, ancient Sumerians. They were in that area. So, I don't know. Yeah. Throwing that out there. All right. So, the next theory that we have is that it was a mud flood disaster. This theory proposes that a catastrophic event, often referred to as the mud flood, you know, the topic of today, occurred in the 18th or 19th century. This led to the destruction of the Tatarian Empire and the suppression of its history. There are many examples of places being uncovered from dirt and rock or mud and being rebuilt that it's believed that there was an event like that occurred. So this mud flood happened not just to the Tatarian Empire, but to many cities and civilizations, which led to the rewriting of history and the creation of new narratives. As crazy as that sounds, after looking at those ancient ruins and rubble and a lot of them being buried, and then rebuilt, it's like, okay, first of all, how the hell was the entire world flooded? Or not in the entire world flooded, but how the hell was there an entire mud flood? Mud flood, lots of rain probably. Maybe um, the rain created a flood, which created a mud, you know, mud flood. But where did all this rain come from? This is where I'm going to talk about a theory that's, don't judge me on it. It's pretty out there, okay? And I mentioned this theory to you earlier. Oh, that. Yeah, before we started recording. A lot of people point and say, well, all of this water came from the sky. Well, duh. They say that the earth is surrounded in a firmament, okay? And this is me just saying this theory, okay? The earth is surrounded in a firmament and Outside of the firmament is not space. Space is not what we think it is. Supposedly, space is filled with water. This firmament protects the water from getting into Earth. The stars that we see twinkle are twinkling because of them being in water. The Milky Way is not a galaxy. It is a crack in our firmament that happened due to something. I don't know what, but due to something. And this crack allowed the water to flow in from, I guess, space ocean is what it would be called. I don't know. And it flooded the earth. And then the crack was sealed by either an AI or an alien race living in the ocean to save us humans. And that that is what caused the flood. And every so often, this alien race comes up from the ocean and decides to do a hard reset. So they open up that crack in the firmament flood the earth, reseal it again, go back underwater, and wait for the humans to repopulate and study us again. Now, like I said, that is a far out there theory, but it is very interesting to think about. Only rebuttal I have to that would be, so if there was a crack in the firmament, then the water rushes in, there would be an area of impact. Wouldn't there be? For the water, yeah. Yeah, and considering how much water it would be, coming from that high up Marianas Trench it could have been flowing right into Marianas Trench and that's why it's so deep because you know how when you put sand down in a, an aquarium and then you yep. drop water down and the, the sand gets pushed away from where the water pressure is going down maybe it's over Marianas Trench where all the water came was hitting filled up the oceans overflowed the lands and then it receded back okay I guess. I mean, if you believe that the earth is flat and there's a firmament. I mean, it doesn't even have to be flat. There could be a firmament surrounding it. 
Yeah, I mean, if you believe there's a firmament there, then yeah, I guess it could make sense. Yeah. Like I said, far out there theory, but fun to think about. I would go with the route of the Ice Age ending, then the ice melting and all that water going all over the land and stuff, covering stuff up, pushing mud around. But that would happen, what, over 11, 12,000 years ago? Yeah. Not 100 to 200 years ago? If we believe history. If you believe history. All right, Dan, so tell us about this next theory. All right, so the next theory is cultural replacement. This theory suggests that the civilization was not physically destroyed, but instead they experienced a cultural replacement or takeover. It's claimed that a new ruling class or power emerged and intentionally suppressed the Tatarian culture, history, and achievements by replacing it altogether. This would be a good prime example that history is written by the victors. It is written by the victors, 100%. You don't see the victors writing good about their enemies. No, if they really want to write about them at all. <laughs> yeah, because it makes the people, you know, they want their people to look at them as the good guys, which is why America had, mm, okay, this isn't me not talking about America, but it is a perfect example of propaganda that we have, the Marvel movies. And I know that might sound crazy, but they're always painting us to believe that there's good guys and bad guys. You got to dehumanize the other half to go to war with them. You don't, you can't look at them as humans because if you look at them as humans, then you won't be able to support a war or go to war with them or sign up for the military and fight for the banks and the corporations who we're essentially fighting for. But that's just a rant. Okay. I'm going to go into this next theory, which is pretty good. It's called tunnels. So this theory assumes that there was a mud flood. Okay. And all the underground bunkers and tunnels that we talk about on other episodes that supposedly connect the Denver airport to all these other monuments, they are not actually, well, they are tunnels now, but before they were actually roads that were built before the mud flood. The mud flood then came, covered up the roads, but kept them as tunnels. And the elites are aware of that. And they use these tunnels to traverse in. Interesting. Yeah, it's a good theory. I like it. All right, now to go kind of out there with this next theory that I have. This theory is that Tatarian Empire was a civilization that lived underground. So this would mean that the Earth was hollow. You know how we stated earlier that, that the Tatarian Empire, you know, Genghis Khan and his army was an army from hell. That is why they called them Tartars, you know, Tatarians, because of Tartarus from the Greek mythology. What if that had more of a meaning instead of them just being like, you know, evil army coming, destroying shit, but they actually came from underground. Now, I know you're over there making that weird face. It's a I'm in deep thought type of face. All right. So early 1800s, 1900s. There was that map that had the Tatarian Empire on there, the uh, Tartary. Yes. What if that wasn't the map of the surface? That was the map of the lower levels of Earth. That is why it was that big area underneath. You're talking about like hollow Earth or like inner Earth? Kind of like inner Earth. Okay. And that the maps that we see now are just the outer surface. That map back then was the layout of inside Earth. They were called Tartars, the Tatarian Empire after Tartarus, because not only did they, you know, come in like Hell's army, but they were actually from like hell itself inside earth to them. Before they kind of took over and invaded, 
there was a good civilization down there in a good country called Atlantis. And Tartaria overtook Atlantis, took their technology, and used it to invade outer Earth. God damn, we could write a science fiction novel. Dude, hell yeah. I like that theory, Dan. And that's why the, the Greek mythology talks about Tartars. They pushed them back down into Earth. And that's why uh, we can't go to Antarctica. Well, I guess you can go to Antarctica now. It's a Mandela effect. You can go there and tour it now. When I read clearly you couldn't. Yeah, that's what we thought before when we did uh, Antarctica. Yeah, it stated you had to be a scientist to go there. But now you can go there whenever you want. So congratulations. Yay. All right, so let's talk about this last theory, which is called ancient resets. So you know how we discovered all these ancient civilizations, you know, like pyramids, cities, Gobekli Tepe, like all that from different time periods. And some of them have such advanced technology of star systems or, you know, constructions like pyramids that it's hard for us to wrap our head around. You know, how could these ancient hunter gatherers create or have such knowledge of these things? Knowledge. Knowledge. Uh, like how could people living in the forest hunting animals with spears be able to build the Mayan temples and align them with certain star systems? It's mind boggling. According to this theory, maybe every 200 to 250 years, Earth gets reset. These pyramids and ancient ruins are just remnants of these advanced civilizations that for some odd reason get reset so often. Which brings us to the question, what is doing these resets and why? Or who is doing these resets and why? Could it be the aliens underwater that are sending up drones, aka UFOs, and these UFOs, aka drones, monitor us, as in the human civilization, and when we hit a certain point, boom, they reset us? Or could the aliens underwater actually be artificial intelligence and it is a way for them to study and control us just like aliens they send out ufos which we assume are aliens but it is actually them monitoring us and then they reset the human race to restart us again so that we do not take them over and they don't want to make themselves known as artificial intelligence because when we look at aliens we think oh they could be good but when we view artificial intelligence that's more advanced than us, we don't think, oh, they could be good. We automatically assume them as being bad because that's how we've been conditioned. We condition, oh, aliens could be good or bad, but mainly probably good. AI, bad, bad. Which makes you wonder, why are we being conditioned to think that way? Because maybe some of the elites know that, hey, there is AI down below in the ocean hiding. They monitor us, and then every so often they reset us as reset the human civilization, not like reset our brains. It's, it's weird to think about. And it's fun to think about, you know? I love these type of theories. I love these type of discussions. Gets my brain working. It's crazy. Yep. So Dan, I'm going to ask you, since we're going to personal thoughts and theories, uh, do you believe, yes or no, that there was a mud flood or a type of flood that covered up ancient civilizations in the past? When you say past, how far back are we talking? From the very beginning of the creation of Earth. Yeah, I believe there was probably a great mud flood sometime in history. I'm not going to say it was 100 to 200 years ago. I just don't, for some reason, that just doesn't fit for me. Do you believe that there was an empire called the Tartarian Empire that controlled majority of the world? It was then erased from history and being hidden from us? 
Mm, I don't know if they controlled most of the world or the whole world, but I wouldn't put it like past the government or say secret society elites or whoever to hide away a civilization that was probably against them more advanced or just as advanced as they were with their shit they had and they stood up against them probably okay thank you for that you're welcome my belief all right don't hate on me any of the listeners either i'm gonna go a little bit of religious this route okay okay when you talk about religion its main thing is belief you believe in something you have to act a certain way to get to a certain place. Essentially, it's control, okay? I believe that there was a great empire in the past, and there has been plenty of great empires prior. There has been advanced civilizations. They have been actively covered up, not only by the Pope, but in help with the Smithsonian and other institutions that help push a certain narrative of this is how it's always been because if you learn that, hey, there was a greater civilization and this is their beliefs, it would stray you away from believing in a certain religion. I don't want to say Christianity, but now I'm not bashing Christianity, okay? I got cross tattoos on me, all right? But I'm just saying that is, that is what I'm leaning towards as a belief. Because all the evidence points to that, in my personal opinion. You telling us the other day about the way the maps are now. Yeah. Did you not know about that? I did not know about that. Okay. Knowledge nugget for everybody. When you look at a map, you assume its proportions are correct. That is not right. Because the equator is in the middle of the earth, right? If you take a modern map and you run the equator along the middle of that map, it's going to say that the equator is like in freaking Iowa. It's in the middle of the United States. There's no tropical forest or equator in the middle of the United States. The correct map has South America eight times larger than Greenland. America's a lot smaller. So go look up a map that's proportionally correct. Because back in the day, that used to be the thing. But the Pope, get this, he ended up contracting an individual to recreate the map to where the areas where Christianity was prevalent at to be bigger in size. So there you go. A little knowledge nugget for your ass. You can look that up. That's a fact. Are you looking up those maps? Dude, Greenland's almost the same size as South America. Is that it? No. No. Greenland is way smaller. Look up Peter's map. Oh, there it is. Okay. I see it now. Oh, yeah. It's way smaller. Yeah. Can you post that up on here so I can post that on, uh, on the Patreon post as a reference for everyone to take a look at? The Gall-Peters projection map. So you have to think about, about the Earth being circular, right? So the map would be distorted. Here it is, right here. See how it's distorted? Oh, yeah. That one. Sorry, everybody. I'm on Dan's computer or Dan's... Uh, iPad. iPad. There we go. That one. I'm on his iPad because I forgot my charger at my house and I didn't want to walk a block to my house and go get it. Don't judge me. It's like 2,000 degrees outside, okay? All right. By the way, I think we're going to move to iPads rather than computers because iPads are way more easier. I do like the iPad. Yeah. So there you go. That is an accurate proportion map. Look how small Greenland is. It's like squished. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, look how big Africa is. That thing's huge, right? That's way bigger than I yeah, thought it would be. Yeah, that's what she said. All right, well, there you go. A little knowledge nugget for your asses. All right, so do you have anything else you want to add to this topic today, Dan? I know we went pretty deep into this. We literally researched all day yesterday. We wrote almost 30 pages of research. We went and interviewed a historian professor or a professor of history at the University of Texas. We spent pretty much the past 48 hours doing nothing but research for this topic. I enjoyed it. I love talking about stuff like this. When I first heard about the uh, Tatarian Empire, I was like, eh, skeptical. Then the more I look into it, it's just like, no shit. There's like a lot of things that could point to the fact that it was covered up. But there's still my little bit of skepticism. Yeah, which it's healthy to have skepticism. You don't always have to accept everything at face value. Yeah. You got to do your investigation and pull up your evidence. And that's with everything. So with that being said, do you have anything else you want to add to today's topic? I'm good. I'm all out. All right. Well, that is the end of the Tatarian Empire slash Mud Flood episode. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You voted for it. You wanted it. And we gave it to you. It was a good history lesson. It was. With that being said, I love you and I'm proud of you all. Yeah, much love. Definitely appreciate the topic suggestion. Yep. So with that being said, uh, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone.